With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hello and welcome uh, once again to the Tennis.com podcast. Uh, Two-man show today, Ed McGrogan and Steve Tigner. We're going to do something a little different uh, today with obviously no matches um, for a week now. Actually, just a little bit longer than that at this point on Monday. Uh, but what we're doing on the site is uh, Steve will be reviewing or picking his top 10 matches of the year. And it started today on Monday, December 12th. Um, and that was the Radwanska Zvonareva Insta Classic, however you uh, want to view it, from Istanbul. And so each day, each weekday from this week and next week, Steve will have a, a YouTube clip of the video along with some of his comments um, on that clip, uh, sort of reliving the match, a lot of ones you may have forgotten just because there is so much tennis throughout the year. And uh, Steve and I are going to be talking about that now, sort of how this, how he comprises this, what goes into the process behind all this. And uh, Steve, as you, some of you may know that um, in the magazine a couple, about a year or so ago, Steve had a, uh, a piece on the phenomenon really of YouTube clips and, uh, and tennis and how fans have been able just to relive certain old memories that they haven't been able to watch before. So do you have kind of a fascination with seeing this, uh, you know, just reliving all these old historic matches that were really unavailable for a while? Yeah. yeah. Um, because, you know, for a long time you couldn't get any tennis matches on DVD even. Um, they just weren't sold. They're, I don't think anyone, um, the people who have permission to to run them don't don't sell them because they don't think there's a market really for them. Um, Wimbledon owns a lot of them. The company that through Wimbledon um, owns a lot of them. The U.S. Open doesn't sell any. They don't see a real market. So before YouTube, before people started putting old clips of their own up, there was no way to see even you know something like Borg McEnroe 1981. Wimbledon final, the you know Wimbledon sold the 1980 final, but any others, any other great matches, a classic Borg Garolitis match from '77, uh, that was that was tough to see any of that stuff. So people sort of forget that now. You can go on YouTube and look up any, pretty much any, virtually any tennis match you want, but you know five years ago you couldn't do that. Yeah, it wasn't even the obscure ones that we were missing. It was kind of the, I mean, really good stuff that uh, I think you've pointed out to a lot, a lot of people. A lot of some of those. Some of the ones that I seem to enjoy are the the ones that were already a little far flung off the radar, but even more so like these um, you know tennis masters cup highlights from like the mid '90s when the courts have uh, no doubles alley and things like that. Some of these really neat ones that you don't pick up on, and and when I when I watch some of these highlights, 
um, a couple of years back, I, I used to watch sort of all this Federer stuff in his early 2000s. But even these other matches that I just haven't seen over the time, it, it does strike me that um, it, it's all like the good old days when, when I watch them. I think things seem to age pretty well in sports, especially today where, we're, where things are kind of old within a couple of days or so. Maybe we don't even um, notice it while it's happening. But, it, but when you kind of step back from that, like, like I think we're doing with these clips, uh, you do seem to appreciate it a little more and see a little more than you did before. Well, one of the things that helps is that they're highlights. They're highlight reels, most of them. That The one you're maybe referring to is the Tennis Masters Cup or World, World Championships between Sampras and Becker in 96. One of the best matches of the last you know 30 years. It wasn't really seen that widely. There's a, there's a YouTube clip with the highlights that just makes it look like the, by far the greatest tennis match ever played. But of course... All they're all they're showing are the winners, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but it's true that this stuff does look really good um, when when you look back at it. Yeah. Um. So for this list here, it's it's the top ten of 2011. Um. I wouldn't even. I'd love to know actually how many matches were played in 2011. It's it just has to be an, an obscene amount with all the tournaments and everything around the world. Uh, did you have a specific criteria for this list, or you know, is it kind of really just more? You know, it's obviously your own subjective opinion, but do you have any sort of hardline things that you, um, you know, a match has to have X to to really get in here? No, um, I start with the most famous matches that first come to mind: um, the Grand Slam finals, the finals, and the semifinals. All the big tournaments, all the big matches between the the important players: Djokovic, Federer, Nadal. Anything on any of the women's finals or semis um, that come to mind, you sort of start with those because those are the, you know, that's those are where the most important matches will come, um, and then you you look for the best ones of those, the ones that have the highest quality, uh, or the most dramatic, or the closest, uh, and then you kind of go down from those slams and work down to the next level, the Masters or the Premier events, and then down to any Davis Cup or sort of one-off. Event. So I sort of start with, with the occasions and work down from there. Yeah, you were saying with, with today's, it was one that you, um, until you mentioned it, that this Radwanska's Vonareva, um, you know, thrill ride for a while. It, it, it wasn't even that long ago that we, um, you, just for, you just forget it almost happened really. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's certainly got to be a, a process to, to, parse down the year into into these 10 and there's another tennis channel right now has this love 30 going on 30 love i can't remember which one it is but they are picking 30 matches that they are showing um on their network up and throughout december and a couple of them you know like you said or a couple of them as i think you've noted are actually kind of a little blowout nature um it like do you think for a list like this, like you're composing, like can really a uh, sort of a really one-sided match also be a classic match in a way? Um, or I think of a couple of these Federer Nadal ones this year, but just in general, do you think a classic necessarily has to be like maximum amount of sets played, etc.? No, it can. Most of the time, yes. The number one match I had last year was Schiavone beating Sam Stoser in the French Open final, which is a straight set match, close to a blowout. But I just thought the it was the most memorable match of the year. For me, so I'm pretty, you know, I can be pretty subjective in that. But for the most part, yeah, that go for the five setters, the close matches, a blowout. Um, even if it's a high quality performance by one player, usually wouldn't wouldn't make the list. Um, wouldn't make 
my list, say Nadal's win over Federer and Keep Biscayne or Federer's win over Nadal in in um, London. London don't make it for me as great matches. Yeah. Uh, for this this list overall, you've done this for now. Um, this is a third year, I believe. How w- was this one more or less difficult to assemble than the others? Because to me, I'm actually kind of uh, just scanning the year back. This year, I don't think necessarily has really a front runner for that top match. I think it can be debated. There's no... 70-68 match, there's no classic Wimbledon final that goes beyond 6-6. How was this list in terms of comprising it? It was harder. Two years ago, was the, I think 2009 was a particularly good year. Um, number one was Verdasco and Nadal in Australia for me, and number two was Roddick, uh, Federer at Wimbledon. If you have Roddick and Federer as a number two match of the year, it was the 16-14 fifth set. That's a pretty good year. Um, last year was also good. It also had a couple... Um, oddballs, the Schiavone match to me, and Isner Mahu. You're not going to uh, duplicate duplicate those two, but um, this one I guess has been a little weaker. There's a few that are obvious that are going to be in there, but as I got down in the six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you know, it wasn't quite as obvious. Like Zvonareva, Redwanska, neither of those players are marquee names, and I didn't even remember the match until I had to think about how am I going to get ten matches out of this. I'd happen to really like that match. Yeah. Um, so so it works, but it's um, but that's probably a little more of a stretch than than say I had in two thousand nine. Right, um, and you know the luxury of your position is you get to see a lot of these matches in person. You probably saw quite a few of these that on your list in person, and, and obviously, if you can't tell, we're withholding the list, so you have to just check it out on the site as it goes in the next couple of weeks. But um, when you see a match in person. Um, as there's obviously a lot of differences from television, is it easier or more difficult for you to kind of appreciate the quality of the match, what you're seeing? Um, you know, just because it's two completely different perspectives. It is funny. Some of the matches, because you watch so many matches on TV, that kind of becomes your criteria. Criteria. That's how you watch it. When I see something live, there's a lot more that goes into it. Like I look at the um, U.S. Open final between. Nadal and Djokovic. Uh, I thought last year's U.S. Open final between Nadal and Djokovic. Not many people had that. I would say in their top ten, but I had it in the top ten because I thought it was such a fantastic physical contest. And the same thing this year. I might not have, if I'd watched that on TV, I might not have been that impressed by that match. Um, on the other hand, you have things like Federer Djokovic at the French Open versus Federer Djokovic at the U.S. Open. Two. Both fantastic matches, but completely different atmospheres. And I was in, you know, I was there for both of those. So that that definitely affects how I how I look at it. I can't I can't take myself out of how the the atmosphere of the match. Yeah, the atmosphere I think is a is a huge one. I just just recently saw that Nadal Del Potro match over in Seville, which was one of the more that one you could feel through the through the through the television. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. That's that. true. Yeah, um, but you do I think know when I, I do think you. It's sort of like you know it when you know it when you're there that you're watching something great. Uh, that's a good one. And then I know this match didn't make last year's, I don't believe. Um, but last year when that Harrison-Stakovsky match was going on at the Open, that was um, actually probably one of the better atmospheres I've ever seen in Flushing Meadows. There, But I do think you, um, I, at least for seasoned tennis fans in, in person, you do kind of get that sense of um, you're watching something really memorable there. So Yeah, and but... but- 
but like that uh, Harrison Stokowski, sometimes you do have to take yourself out of it it's a, and look at what it is, second round match. To, it happened, a, to like a French viewer that could, yeah. It happened to be an American playing in the U.S., a kid who was really fired up, and you have to sort of balance those things as to what that was really worth for the for the for the year yeah absolutely um yeah any any closing uh thoughts on on this year on this year overall this crop of matches this list of years because like we said steve will have um one each day monday through friday leading up to uh it's like the 10 days of christmas to go back to the youtube element um i try to get all of these matches through uh include a highlight reel of the match that makes it much better than just trying to recount the match without one. I luckily in the last two years have been able to find pretty good highlight reels for all of them. Um, and that really makes it that, you know, when you see them you can see the match again, especially with seeing just the best moments, you really, um, even now just looking at this list, it, it, I was struggling to, to come up with 10 really good ones, but now that I've come up with them and I've, I've watched some of them, um, they really do come across as great matches um, worth, you know, worth remembering, worth watching again. Luckily, there is people, like you said, that uh, apparently <laughs> yeah. spend all day uploading clips. I don't know who they up. are, but um, so, so th- thank you. Thanks to them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like I said, tune in this week, next week, tennis.com. Uh, among that, among other lists, we have Aces and Faults, Last Word. Lots of stuff to look back on 2011, and then soon enough, Next year, we'll have that covered as well, I'm sure, quite well. Thanks for listening. Steve Tigner, Ed McGrogan. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com. 